0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. This is rat poison that is not sweet tarts, so don't, don't go for it. um, <laughs> um want to try to do two or three of these a year um, just because it helped me. Um, not just be the one speaking to you, but bring in other people and, and talk about this as well. Um, tonight is a little different than the ones of these I've done in the past. Um, usually I'm just interviewing somebody and letting them talk. Um, I am answering the questions tonight as well. So we're kind of teaching this together. Um, we're talking tonight just as we've concluded 21 days of prayer. Uh, just wanted to talk about a theological question that, that is often brought up um, with Christians, but also with, with those who are not Christians. Um so we um, we believe that the Christian faith is filled with doctrines that seem to contradict. Um, you take two two things that the Bible teaches, and and you try and logically understand them, and it doesn't always work. Um, you, you think of things like Jesus when he was here on earth. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. Okay, that doesn't logically make sense because you've got that he's he's the eternal God, so he can't die, but then he dies. You've got that he is. A God who never sleeps, yet he gets tired. So 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 how does that work together? Um you have the one that gets everybody. God is triune. He is one God and three persons. Well, I, I don't understand that. Um, but but it's biblically true. Um and so the the work of of theology and studying the doctrines of the Bible is to try and understand these things and as best as we can look at what the Bible teaches on both sides and 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 bring it together and, and make sure we understand what we're talking about. Um, And so, as for tonight um, We believe God is totally sovereign That is, he is king over the universe He rules everything um, And ultimately everything will pan out According to his will Um, Yet he answers our prayers And works through our prayers He um, often, um, we're going to get to in a minute He he changes course Based on our prayers Um, That seems to be a contradiction That seems to not work So let's talk about that so um we're going to start out defining terms so matt let's talk first um what does it mean that god is sovereign well just just
1: first of all in the word there sovereign you know that's a word um you know one definition of that that's a king that's a ruler for god to be sovereign he is the ruler of the universe and if they're just, um, I, I mean, and I tell you what, this is the, I think, the foundational, one of the foundational principles of just understanding the nature and character of God. Um, if there's one passage of Scripture, I think that would kind of sum up God's sovereign rule, it's, uh, I think it's Psalm 103, verse 19, he has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all.
0: Yeah, so you think of a king, you think of a king, um, just imagine king of whatever city back in the Bible days. He's in his palace, he's on his throne, he governs the land, he um, ultimately, everything that happens in the land is according to his edict, but in different portions, um, of course, there's going to be individual lives that work out, but ultimately, he's the one on the throne in charge. And um, so that's kind of what um, we're talking about when we talk about God being sovereign. Um, but even beyond that, to what extent is God sovereign? So, um, I just moved that microphone. Did I do that or did God do that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Um, what well, if you if you say to what extent God is sovereign? I mean, maybe we could turn that around and say. Is there anything God's not sovereign over?
0: Mm.
1: You know, is there is there anything He's not that ex- escapes His control?
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't think, from the biblical revelation, there's anything that ultimately escapes the control of God. And now, of course, I don't think that means He's a puppeteer. You know, right. I, when you did that, I mean, I, I believe that when you did that, you did that was your choice. Mm. You did it. Yeah. You weren't forced. I didn't, and yet you doing it fulfilled His will. Right, part of His plan.
0: Yeah, so so that's that's important because this debate gets really heated with people, and people get really upset about this because they hold on to one side and they hold on to it really hard. And so um, some people completely discount that that I'm responsible for my own actions because they want to hold that God is sovereign, and some people um, don't want to think about that, so they completely discount God's sovereignty and they hold on to completely everything they're supposed to do. Um, we've got to be in the middle on theological issues like this, or we end up discounting half the Bible when we do that.
1: And and, and can I say this too? I yeah. Think, uh, some of our limitations, um, you know, if, if you're my age or older, you grew up on Superman, right? That's your superhero. <laughs> and And Superman's this kind of, you know, stronger, faster, bulletproof, you know, he he's like me only a little bit he can fly. He's like me only a little stronger and a little more handsome, you know, <laughs> all those things right. And and if you're younger than me, it's the Marvel superheroes, but like even Superman had his kryptonite. And I think one of our limitations or, or one thing that we makes us struggle is that it's very difficult for us to conceive of the true transcendent nature of God because I mean, I am, I mean, by nature, I'm my frame of reference. Right. So we can't work from who I am, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, and somehow work out from there that God's just a a bigger, better just you know, a lot more powerful, a lot more wise than I am. He's a transcendent being whose wisdom and power has no limits. Right. This is a majestic, awesome god so he's just not bound by these constraints that we are and and we we make a mistake when we try to use ourselves to define him
0: yeah yeah we end up creating a god in our own own image when we end up doing that um there's a there's a guy in church history named abraham kuyper and there's a really famous quote by him where he said there is there's not one square inch over all of creation that jesus doesn't look at and say that's mine and I think that's a good that's a good description of his sovereignty from the biggest galaxies in the universe to the tiniest dust particle floating around this room right now. It, it's it's Jesus owns it. He owns it.
1: Well, and and when you, you know, there's that place there in the Gospels. Um, I think it's Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says not a single sparrow touches the ground apart from your heavenly father. Mm hmm. I mean, and, and you know what it says next, that he has every one of our hairs, or the lack thereof, <laughs> numbered. <laughs> I mean, so God's taken notice to things down to the to the smallest details and is involved in those. Not a single sparrow touches the ground yeah. without your father. And, and then the, the outworking, the way Jesus works that out, don't you realize that we are of more value than many sparrows?
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, so what happens is people get confused by that or they get agitated by such a thought rather than letting it comfort and empower them in their prayer life and in, in their evangelism and in, their, um, in everything else that they do, which we're going to get to shortly. Um, so that's one term, sovereignty. Now let's talk about what prayer is. I've just spent the last month preaching to, to the church about prayer. Um, and so um, I'm going to pull from that in my definition. But what what is prayer? biblically speaking
1: I think I think first and foremost it's an act of worship okay Prayer's an act of worship uh, it's um, a special gift that God has given us uh, the Heavenly Father as his children has given to communicate with him
0: yeah yeah I think I I would pull from right here at this moment um, and this probably doesn't capture all of it, but um, let in everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, um, let your requests be made known to God. So there's there's all these different, there's all these different types of prayers, prayers, supplication, thanksgiving, request. Um, it's conversing with God and communing with God for various purposes, whether it's to thank him or to ask him or to praise him or to repent. Or, um, or or whatever that may be, it's it's communicating with our heavenly Father, and and ultimately, in a lot of ways, to, to what we're talking about, it's it's trying to align our own will with His that that we might uh, that we might worship Him better. Would you say anything else on that? Okay, so let's jump into some passages of Scripture to kind of work this out. So Psalm one fifteen, Psalm one fifteen. Um, Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Okay, then why would I bother asking him for anything? He, he's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So, you know, if if what I want for him to do is not what he pleases, I guess I shouldn't even bother asking him because he's ultimately going to do everything that he wants. And so if wh- why do we bother praying in light of that truth? Well, I mean,
1: I, I think there's a number of reasons, but uh, one of the things that God has been pleased to do is ordain that we pray, and he's created us as, as these dependent beings. You know, one of the things of being created in the image of God, being his image bearers, is unlike, you know, all of creation praises God. Like, when it rains, that the weather system is doing what it's designed to do, it's giving God glory. It's... Um, you know, when a fish jumps, you know, when a, a bass jumps out of the water and catches a bug in midair and goes, I mean, that, when the trees sway, they're, they're worshiping God, they're yeah. praising God. But, but he hasn't created any other life form in the universe that has the ability to communicate with him. So um, he's, he's been pleased to create us in this way yeah. and set up a world where we can communicate with him so you know you work it out from there um you know if god if god were not sovereign why would we pray mm. like if god's not in control <laughs> what are you going to him for you know what do we need him for if he's not the one yeah. in control and um you know if you were going to be a little bit if you're gonna uh you could be a little funny too and say well if god's sovereign why pray well how about we start with this he's commanded us to pray he commanded. So let's just start. We, that's a good place to start, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And I, I think with what you said earlier, where you said that we tend to we tend to form our picture of God based on ourselves. Well, if it was set up to where I did whatever I wanted, well, I would just think of myself and do absolutely whatever I wanted to do. But God's not like that. God is the picture of self-giving love. And so, our God is in the heaven. He does all that He's that he pleases, well, he has set it up to where he pleases to hear our prayers and answer them and do what we ask. Like, it's the craziest thing. He's set it up to where the thing that he pleases to do is answer our prayers and 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 help us in that way, um, which, is, which is, again, that picture of self-giving love that he is, he's not just all about doing whatever, you know, a, a selfish person would want to do. He's about pouring out love onto others. And he does that. It pleases him to then answer our prayers and do that. And so, um, so we're not we're not picturing him through selfish us. We're picturing it through selfless him in that. Um. So so then, taking that principle that he pleases to to answer our prayers and hear us, we turn to a couple other passages: Exodus thirty-two. Uh, Exodus thirty-two. This one is just like, like at, at face value, this is the kind of thing that people look at in the Bible and say, what's wrong with this God? So we gotta we got to be able to answer um, what this is saying. Um, Exodus 32, verses 9 through 14. Um, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So at face value, this is what this sounds like. Um, Somebody criticizes me. And I get really mad and angry about it. And I tell my wife, I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. They're going to wish they'd never said that. I'm going to just completely deface them. And my wife says to me, "Uh, maybe you shouldn't do that, Aaron. And so I say, yeah, you're right. Okay, I won't go do it. At face value, that's what this looks like. God tells Moses, leave me alone. I'm going to burn up and destroy the people of Israel. That's what I'm going to do. And Moses says, Lord, don't do that. Remember your promise. Or you made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't destroy them. And the Lord doesn't do it. And so, if, if God's going to do all that he wishes, if he's going to do everything that he pleases, as Psalm 115 says, well, in that moment, it seems like what pleased him was to destroy Israel. And Moses prayed, and they didn't get destroyed. So, does he change his plans? Does he does he change doing what he wants to do? Like how do we understand that in light of him being sovereign and us praying?
1: Yeah, it I mean, some there's a, a handful of these passages um where God relented. Some of the old translation says like it repented the Lord that he, you know, created mankind, you know, the flood. Um <coughs> it, and it, it seems like I mean at face value. It looks like God's changing his
0: mind yeah right and we know that that god does not change right he's immutable he doesn't change at all yeah for lots of places numbers
1: 23 uh i don't know 14 or 19 god's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind right one thing one thing that's really important this is this is really helpful i think when you're reading your bible trying to understand your bible you know, you, you, you can't come to any one verse and just say, oh my goodness, well, this is, you know, you really, um, one of the most important rules of scripture interpretation is that you interpret scripture with scripture, right. right? So you wanna, you wanna, you know, if you're just reading from Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, you know, you come to this, oh my goodness, we got a God who changes his mind. Well, no, you need to read the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, you come to passages like, um, the one you mentioned in Numbers, the one like I think in Malachi, you know, God, we're not consumed because the Lord does not change. You know, James, um, there's no variableness or shadow of turning with the Lord. I think these, um, these passages, think about this. You know, why do you and I change our minds? What causes us to change our minds? Well, you know, I'll change my mind because I learned something or I gained some information I didn't have before, right? Like, I was going to do this, but now I'm doing this because of new information. Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, I can't see around the corner what's coming next. I don't, you know, we believe that our God has exhaustive knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. Like, there's not a detail in the universe he has not eternally known about. So nothing catches him by surprise. It, God's not like, oh, man, I didn't really, I didn't know Moses had it in him to step it up and intercede for the people. Now I guess I'll do this, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the best way to look at a passage like this is, yeah, is God's testing Moses. Okay, that's that's true. That's probably part of it. But, you know, if you were going to think about if you were going to, um, is that, I mean, we got, um, I don't know, I didn't see Will, but Haddon back there. If you were going to get down on your knees and try to explain something in a way that Haddon could understand it, I mean, you would have to get down on a really low level and you would have to kind of enter his world and explain things to him in a way that would make sense to him. So... So God is is revealing his merciful nature to us. You know, Moses, the picture of Moses interceding for for the people really becomes a great picture of Christ. Yeah. God is unveiling, you know, chapter by chapter this mystery of what's going to become salvation in Christ. So I think God's getting down like on our level as preschoolers and communicating his nature to us. So um, I I don't think you can look if you take the whole scope of scripture. I don't think God, if if you ask. Um, if you ask, does prayer change God's mind? I would say no. If you ask if prayer changes things, absolutely. You know, and this is part of God's. I think the fact that Moses did this was part of God's plan, and God's response was part of God's plan as well.
0: Yeah, that's. Um, I heard this this text itself preached um, at a conference one time asking this very question that we're discussing tonight and his answer to it was yeah so God planned to change and not not destroy Israel before Moses had prayed this Um, he, he made that as Psalm 115 says he does what he pleases his pleasure is to hear the prayers of his people and respond to them and and in the mystery of how that works with him, you know, also being in control and and having his will and all of that. We we don't always know the answer and we don't always like that. We can't figure that out because we think we're smarter than preschoolers. (laughs) And we think (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, we think we know more than, than a little preschool. God's
1: a little smarter than me. Right. A little bit.
0: He's like got his doctorate. I've got my master's. So just a few more books and I'll be there. Um, but that's not the case. Well, and, and part of
1: the technical aspect of this and this, this kind of, touches all these questions we're talking about i i really do believe that like the structure that god has set up that that he has ordained god has ordained to to partially like one of the aspects that god has chosen to bring about his will he partially does that in concert with the prayers of his people yeah and so there's this really cool place like one of the most um Misused verses in the whole Bible, as some of you probably have it memorized, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts I have for you," says the Lord, "thoughts of good and not of evil, to you know, give you this future and an expected end. And people, oh yeah, oh God's for me. He wants to give me good things, health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, yeah, but you know, take that passage and and understand it in its context. He says first, there's going to be seventy years of of captivity, of exile, right? But in that, in Jeremiah 29, God goes on to essentially foretell the fact that after, at the end of 70 years, his people would turn to him and repent and pray to him. And we actually have that in Daniel chapter 9. Yeah. In Daniel 9, uh, <clears throat> Daniel's reading, apparently, Jeremiah 29, and he's like, and he's doing the math. What? It's about the time. And he prays that prayer of re- amazing, beautiful, powerful prayer of repentance. And so here's what you see. It was God's will that that he's going to release his people from captivity, but it was going to be, it was going to work in concert with his people turning to him in prayer. So he decreed that it would happen. He told about it beforehand and it came to pass. And Daniel's not just Daniel's not a robot. There, God, God's not like okay, I push the button now. Daniel prayed.
0: Yeah, you know Daniel prayed because he saw this, and that's what he wanted to do. Right. So going into that about God's will, First John five fourteen, perhaps a passage we have read and known a lot. Um, this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So something i said a lot this month when i was preaching on prayer was that god is a god is our father and so um childlike faith which is what scripture calls us to um is to not come to god like a sophisticated adult but to come to him like a child that children don't walk in and use these really high level words to ask their parents hey can i have a cookie um they just come in and say cookie jar you know like like something like that that boy over there does that kind of thing um and so um you have that side of things but then you have this you have to ask God according to his will well we're going to get into in just a little bit a child's will is not always the same thing as their parent's will um you know when he's had five cookies today my will is like you're not getting another cookie buddy and and so what what does it mean to pray according to God's will and and how does that work, Zach?
1: Well, that's uh. this is a good question. I think, uh, it seems to me, if you take the Lord's Prayer, there's a good place to start, right? Because Jesus taught us how to pray. And then he gives us this framework. I mean, you're welcome to pray the Lord's Prayer, but it's really a framework for how Prayer should work. But have you ever thought about this? Everything that Jesus teaches them to pray is essentially something God's already promised to do for his people. You think about that? Jesus is, why would, and right before He Jesus gives the instructions for the Lord's prayer, Jesus is like, you know, don't heap up all these vain repetitions because your heavenly father already knows what you have need of even before you ask him. And then he says, pray this and this and this and this, things that God's already in his faithfulness committed to do. Yep. So I think one of the major roles, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of, no, uh, um, I think one of the major roles of prayer, one of the major graces of prayer, and in in this beautiful thing that God's given us to be able to commune with him and worship him and have fellowship with him is that, Prayer is largely, it's not, to, it's, <laughs> God didn't give it to us so that we could get him on our agenda. I think it's much more true that prayer is a gift that God's given us to help us get on his agenda. So, I mean, if we're going to know what the will of the Lord is, we need to seek the will of the Lord. And, and and how do we do that? I mean, as he has revealed it to us in Scripture, right? The Lord's prayer. So, I think, I think if, um, and, and I mean, I do, I believe in carrying every even the most simple childlike things always to the Father, and yet there needs to be, um, as, as we grow in our um, walk with Christ, as we grow in, in, in Christian maturity, I think there needs to be this, um, this element, oh man, this is such a, a special place. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember how Jesus prayed? He's begging the Father. He's in great agony, right, sweating as it were, great drops of blood, and he's like, "Father, if if it be possible, let this cup pass from me." But what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, be done. So, so I think. you know, as we come to understand more and more what prayer's for, it's, uh, it's, it's this vehicle, it's this special gift that we can commune with God, and, and, and a lot of what God's doing with it, I mean, just take something practical you're praying for, like, let's um, just say you're contemplating a, a new job, and you start praying, Lord, you know, I, I, I'd like to take a new job, Lord. Would you reveal to me, you know, is it this job? Would you like me to apply for it? so you apply for a job, right? And you're praying the whole time. And well, you know, the door closes and you don't get the job. And you know, in time, that's God revealing His will. And what was He doing? Um, He was getting you on board ultimately with with His will.
0: Yeah. So then, praying according to God's will is aligning our wills with His. And it's 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 what we talked about this morning. I preached Second Chronicles seven. Um, that we're to humble ourselves, we're to pray, we're to seek His face, we're to repent. So it's, it's humbling yourself and realizing your own dependence on God and submitting His will to yours ultimately in your prayers. Um, so when we come to God in prayer, um, I think it's safe to say we, we often have perceived needs and actual needs, things that we think we need and things that we actually need. Um, what, how do we know the difference in those two, and what are the difference in those two?
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, one way I, I growing up, I I, grew up, I was a churchy kid. I grew up in the church, and you know, um, we were always we we're always told God's going to provide for every need of His child. Like, there's no true need we have that will go unmet. Um, but God doesn't always give you the things you want. Well sometimes um, you know we now we are very self-oriented every single one of us and we tend to think that our wants I mean you have children right their wants to them those are needs and that's the difference you know a perceived need that's something I perceive is a need and and you think about you think about in your life you know it, there's a lot of things in the future um, for example let's say you've been having some health issues and you got some tests that come back funny and you got to go to the doctor on Wednesday and get the results for it. And you're praying, Oh Lord. And you, th- and, and, and maybe, you know, what it, you could give a, a bunch of different scenarios, but you feel like, God, I, you've got, I need you to come back with this. And this has got to be the result, right? Because you feel like you need a, you know, answer of no cancer right but but uh that's 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 the need from our perspective you know there may be things that we need that god is going to do through maybe coming back with a a result on that test that we do have cancer yeah you know maybe there was a deeper need that maybe and i mean there's so many different things right so Maybe I've been running from the Lord in my heart. I show up at church every Sunday. I'm at church. I mean, like I'm checking the boxes. I'm tithing. I'm showing up at church. But in my heart, you know, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. In my heart, I'm a wandering sheep. I hadn't felt the presence of the Lord truly in a long time. I'm not really in my heart. I might be doing some outward obedience, but, you know, maybe that's the truer I think I need an answer of no cancer, but maybe through cancer, God's going to bring me closer to him. And maybe through cancer, um, and maybe through, you know, as a believer walking through a trial like that, God's going to strengthen the faith of a handful, a dozen, a hundred other believers, right? So.
0: Yeah, yeah, Adrian I saw a girl have a situation just like that when we were in Kentucky. Um, it was the daughter of one of the pastors at our church who was nineteen years old. She had cancer um and she died from it ultimately. We we went to her funeral, um, nineteen years old and um and, and we were all I mean, the whole church was praying that, you know, she would be healed. But I can't tell you how much closer, you know, her friend group in the church and the youth group and the college ministry and all of that became because of her faithfulness to Christ in the midst of her terrible diagnosis. I mean, she was she went to her college classes two weeks before she died. She still wanted to go get her degree, even though theoretically she didn't know if she'd even make a graduation. Um, but she still had joy, and she was still faithful through all of that. And it, her her funeral was like just this really amazing moment because she had actually filmed her story and told her testimony for the internet like a year before, and we got to watch that at her funeral. And um, it, it's the coolest thing at a funeral i've ever seen in my life of getting to hear the person's voice while they're in the casket mm-hmm. no longer living and um so so comment on that in just a second um what is our greatest need in prayer and, and
1: if i can tie it maybe this maybe we can tie this in but yeah a personal uh experience i've had at least two um i've been married 27 years i have five children um, my first four children are mine and my wife's biological children our baby we adopted those boys were here um last time I was here um I- I've had at least twice in my adult married life where I've had two at least two major financial like ruinous family events like income cut in half like it's like sell everything but the kids. One
0: was when you became a pastor, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Uh, sometimes it feels that way, but it's not. This that's a great, a great joy. But um, you know, so I was younger, father, um, almost paycheck to paycheck. Like I couldn't go a month without getting a paycheck. I just didn't have it in the bank. Just, just wasn't there. I had three of my daughters at that time and uh, I was playing basketball and I had an injury, tore my ACL and immediate, like overnight, my income was cut in half because of that injury. And I like already was just like, I needed every dime I was bringing in. And so I'm praying, Lord, you got to provide for us. And you know what, you know, part of me is thinking, I got to replace this income. Lord, you got to help me replace this income. But you know what my bigger need was not the money for my family budget. The bigger needs was to see that God was gonna take care of my family. Yep. And to have walked through, and that wasn't just like a week or two of, of discomfort. I mean, that was a setback that affected us for years. Yep. But God was faithful to provide. And, and you know, well, oh, it would have been so nice if he had just miraculously checked, started showing up in my mailbox. Right. But to learn that God can provide for me in ways that blow my mind, you know, so much more valuable. So he knows what we know. And that's where we, why we walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah. We, 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 God, God knows what we need better than we do. And guess what? God is more committed to our joy, to our eternal joy, comfort, and security than even we are.
0: That's pretty good news. Yeah. Yeah. So our greatest need in prayer it this morning is god himself yes is more of god yeah and so we come to god with a list of perceived needs and often we don't realize in our preschool mind that those are not our actual needs our needs are deeper and it's it's deeper it's god himself um and and often by withholding the perceived needs he gives us our actual need that is more of ourselves of more of himself um And so prayer ultimately could be said that um, it's it's less about changing our circumstances and more about changing us. So you think of Psalm 37. This is a verse that one of the most common verses in the Bible that people quote, I'm pretty sure. Um, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So. Um, 15 year old Aaron read that verse and heard, okay, if I, if I get really serious about God, he'll give me a girlfriend, right? That That's what I heard. That's not what that verse says. That says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? The Lord. You delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you more and more and more of yourself or of himself. Um, and our so our greatest need in prayer is Him, and that He changes us to want more of Him uh, ahead of physical things that we might ask for. Um, but there's times when God's will and God's sovereignty and and what what He plans to do and what we want there's times when that are when that's polar opposites. So what do we do when 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 those are polar opposites? When when what we're asking for is the complete other side of the of the field of what of what God's going to give us?
1: You, you you bow your knees and say Amen to the <laughs> Lord. <laughs> that's uh, that's what we should do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. uh man, I'm. It just came to my mind. I wish I'd thought about this before, maybe printed it up. But if you um, if you ever get a chance, uh, look up, um, desiring God. Ministries, John Piper's poem he did on Job it's a four part poem and it's a masterful it's a masterful thing going through the, just the whole story of Job and um, it gets to the very end after there's a scene there in the end where God's given um, uh, Job, his, he's begin to restore his family and, and he's talking to his young daughter and uh, I'm trying to remember just exactly how the wording of it goes, but, um, you know, God shows up. You know, job has been saying, why, God? Why, why would you do this to me? You know, Job wound up saying some things that were not cool to God in his pain and suffering. He's asking God why, and God showed up, and, and God never, What you know, in the story of Job, one of the most perplexing things, one of the most difficult things for all of us is God never, we know because we get the inspired scripture to read, but God never gave Job an answer for why he suffered. But what God did do is God showed up in such a profound way to Job. God showed up and revealed himself and his glory in such a way that satisfied the deepest needs. It's it, uh, The way God revealed himself to Job in such a glorious and powerful and wonderful way suited The experience of that superseded Job's Job's reason to know why. So in the poem, um, Job is telling his little daughter all that God said to him. And it gets to the end, and and she said, Papa, what did you say? And uh, he... In the poem, Job says to his daughter, I bowed my head and said, amen.
0: Yeah, and that's hard. That's hard when it's it's definitely earthly, not what you want. Uh, and, and it's difficult. Uh, but we know, Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good for those who love him. And um, I've often described it like a tapestry. You look at the front of a tapestry, and it's a beautiful image. But on the back, it's a jumbled mess of yarn going in every direction and all messed up. And you don't understand. Like, if you look at that side, you're like, there's nothing beautiful about that. But it's when you turn around, you see the picture that it's making, that that's when you understand it. And um, and, and we may not see that picture until eternity. No. Um, and we may, like Job, never get any explanation here in, the, in this life. Um, but, um, sorry, you go
1: no, Well, I'm looking out. And I mean, I'm pretty sure what I'm seeing are um, believers who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And er- every one of us in this room can probably quote Romans eight twenty eight. And I- I've-, I've been pastoring or preaching, I don't know, 16, 18 years or something like that. And um, what I've come to realize about, you know, as a pastor, you wind up doing a lot of counseling. And people are going through things, and, and it's your role to shepherd them through that. And what I've come to realize is um, Romans 8.28 makes a lot of sense when someone else is going through a trial. But when it comes to me, I'm like, oh, well, that's like I'm falling apart, <laughs> you know. But I'm a pastor. I've been teaching people Romans eight twenty. you know, yeah. for years. Um, but, but there is, I think, and I think God has a way. Of dealing with his children I mean God's in the business uh, I mean his his sovereign pleasure is is God's good purpose for his children is absolutely intertwined in his sovereign purposes if God be for us who can be against us and so um you know as many of you well know some of you probably way better than me. You know, you walk through tough time, you walk through unbelievably painful circumstances and situations and God brings you through it and you learn from it and there are a lot of things in life you get to look back and say, "Oh, Lord, man, now I see what you were doing." And I think I think what what we should be attempting to do is it, eventually, I mean, when you begin to have those experiences with God over time, you know, you get at the front end of a storm, and you say, oh boy, here we go, and I don't know what's going to happen here, but I know God's for me, I know this is going to work for my good, and I know I can trust Him.
0: Yeah. Um, As we conclude, I've got two questions left in here, I think I can combine them both into one question. Um, Acts chapter and John have just been arrested they've been released they go back to the church and they meet with the believers to pray and um, it says when they were when they were released they went with their they went to their friends and reported what a chief priest what the chief priest and the elders had said to them and when they heard it they lifted up their voices together to God and said sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, and now, lo- Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So that's their prayer. So in view of the fact that God is in control, he's sovereign, how does that both, it's often a point of contention among Christians. Theologians argue about it till the cows come home. Um. I always love to find a way to use that phrase in, in a conversation. But um, So how is the sovereignty of God actually a comfort in our prayer life? And how does it embolden us in our prayer life? Because this, this prayer that they pray is emboldened by the fact that God is sovereign. How does it comfort us and embolden our prayer?
1: Well, here in this account, the opposition to, you know, Jesus is ascended. He's there on his throne. Um, they've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out the Great Commission, um, but opposition is starting to heat up. They're they're about to start being killed for the gospel, for Christ. Christians are about to start dying, and they take great comfort. There, there's two things there. They said that all these all these different elements, the Jews, the, you know the Jewish leaders, Herod Pontius Pilate, all these different actors rose up. To do, he says two things, whatever your hand and your plan be destined to be done. Your plan and your hand. Everything was going according to God's plan. And and, and God, right, we're not deists. God is not, um, God didn't just create everything and set everything in motion and he's somewhere out there. God is intimately involved. You know, one word that I love that we haven't used a lot tonight, but is very closely related to God's sovereignty is God's providence, and, and and God's providence is the is the concept that His hand is intimately involved in the details of our lives, mm. right? So they they took great comfort in this, and and this comes back to, our God's sovereign. We're gonna pray. Yeah, we're gonna we're, th- that that gives you great confidence and boldness. You're not you're not. You're not trying to, um, I, I, do, I do submission work in Ecuador, and I, you've been down to Ecuador, and, and, and Matthew, you've been down there too. Down there, um, animism is a, is a big um, religious element. And, and that's the whole thing. Everything, everything's got a spirit. There's good spirits and there's bad spirits. And the witch doctors or the shamans, they kind of influence the spirits. So they're always trying to pray or do some kind of ritual to influence the spirits. You know, weaker, stronger, lesser spirit spiritual forces out there. That's not what we're doing. We're yeah. praying to the omnipotent God who is on his throne. Daniel 4 says he does his will in the armies of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That's our God. Yeah. That's our father. That's the one we petition, that's the one we pray to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Peter and John have just been told in Acts 4, do not speak of Jesus again. Quit talking about him. And they say, we're not going to do that. Sorry, we're going we're to continue speaking of him. And they go and they pray, sovereign Lord, give us the strength to continue speaking. And God gives them that strength. And so in our prayer life, that comforts us and emboldens us in that um, the the Pharisees and the elders don't get the final word with Peter and John. God does. And whatever we're praying about does not get the final word our cancer doesn't get the final word our sadness and our depression doesn't get the final word Um, the forces of evil in the world that are seeking to you know dethrone the church they don't get the final word Um, uh, the death and mourning don't get the final word all of those things that we pray about they don't get the final word even if it looks like they win in this world God gets the final word because he's on the throne ultimately he is the one in charge and that, that comforts us in our prayer life, and that emboldens us to pray and ask him to move in the midst of things. Uh, any final thoughts, brother?
1: Uh, I think it's Charles Spurgeon that said that the uh, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the believer lays his head at night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, would you close us in prayer?
1: Father, we, we bow before your throne. Amazed, but really not amazed enough that we have the privilege, we have the right. We have been invited to come with boldness to the throne of Christ. And we recognize that it's, it's one thing that gives us this right, this privilege. That's the blood of Christ. The access that we have been given through him through his life, through his death, through his merits that have been imputed to us. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are a great God. I pray, Lord, would you, um, I want to ask, gently tear down these small images we have of you and more and more replace them with the truer, biblical vision of the great God that you really are. You are worthy of our worship. I thank you for this gift of prayer. Father, I thank you that um, even your son prayed to you while he was here on earth as an act of worship and fellowship. I pray that more and more at a very practical level, our prayers would not just be a laundry list of needs or a grocery, a shopping list of, of things we need or want, but that, Father, you would bless us with a sense of awe and wonder and worship and communion with you, the triune God, in our prayers. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray and say, amen.
0: As we conclude, um, just a reminder to sign up over here for whichever class you want to do in two weeks. Next week, we'll just have a normal worship service. After that, we'll do discipleship classes on Sunday night through the end of October. Um, I'll teach one on world religions. We'll be covering animism one of those nights, with which Matthew just talked about in Ecuador. The other is what does it mean to be a Baptist, looking at Baptist tradition and practice, and, and what makes Baptist distinct from other denominations that Matthew Waldrop is teaching. Uh, so be sure to sign up for that just so we know which place to put each class. Uh, and with that, you are dismissed for the evening. Have a good night.